Welcome to the neighborhood. My name is Michael Lacey, husband, father, and host of the Wealthy Neighbor Show, where every week we bring you an amazing interview or message to inspire you as you build wealth for your family. Thanks for stopping by the neighborhood. Now let's jump right in with today's message. Welcome back to another episode of The Wealthy Neighbor Show, where this week I'm joined by the one and only Jay Millennial. Now, for those of you who don't know him, that's not actually his real name. But in order for him to be as open as he is about his finances and salary and all that stuff, he prefers to stay anonymous. And hey, I I respect that. But still, I had to bring Jay on the show because he's 26 years old and he has this goal of becoming a millionaire before he turns 30. And I mean, unless something absolutely wild and crazy happens, it looks like he's going to hit that because he's about 70% of the way there right now. So yeah, you heard that right. He's 26 years old with a net worth hovering around $700,000. Now listen, I don't want my neighbors out there walking away from this interview feeling discouraged in any way. And I say that because we're going to talk about Jay's income in this interview and the role that played in him getting to that net worth. And so just know that there are plenty of folks making fantastic money that don't have this kind of net worth. And I can say that I know that personally because I've been the financial coach for a ton of them. Hear me out. It still takes a lot of discipline when you make a really good income and you choose to save and invest that income instead of doing all the fun stuff that you could be doing. So listen, if you make $30,000 a year, you probably didn't have the chance to build your net worth to 700K like six years after college. But that's all right, because Jay is going to drop some amazing money tips that even you can implement. So Be listening for those tips, those strategies, and those takeaways. Then take what fits your lifestyle and find ways to implement it. And I promise you, you will be in a much better place by the end of this year than you are today. With that said, I want to first say thank you to Jay for agreeing to come on the show. And not just that, but for being an open book for the neighbors that are listening to this interview as well. But jumping right in. I want to know about the financial example you had in your household as a kid. So with my household growing up, I had my parents who I looked up to a lot. I had my uncle and aunt that I saw. And I noticed that financially well off as I thought we were. So taking a look at my uncles and aunts and seeing how they drove BMWs and other really really nice cars and lived in really nice houses. And for me growing up in an apartment, I thought to myself, my gosh, I wish I could get that stuff someday because I obviously don't have that now. So when you say not as financially well off as you thought, I mean, what were some things that were going through your mind at that early age? So at my early age, I I was thinking to myself, wow, um, what could I do to make this situation better? Like I saw my friends get all the latest things. I saw even family in terms of cousins uncles, aunts driving some luxury cars. And we didn't have that. Obviously, we drove much older vehicles. We lived in an apartment with you know three other brothers and then my parents. And then looking at my cousins and other family situations, they lived in houses with vaulted ceilings and some quite amazing things. And I thought, that that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> why, why couldn't I live like that? <laughs> right, right, right. And so 
you know, you you go through school and talk to me a little bit about, you know, your high school experience as as you're dealing with that, because it's one thing to deal with that kind of as a younger child. I mean, I dealt with it. I came from poverty. That's how I grew up. Um, so uh-huh. I dealt with that. I saw cousins and family members and even friends that had nicer things than me. And it was it felt like it was one thing to deal with that when I was like, you know, 10. Um, but then when I got to like middle school and high school, it, it felt like it was a totally different thing to experience that. It was, was that kind of the same thing for you? So actually what was interesting is growing up in elementary school, that's when I felt like it was the worst because, of course, you're trying to build a name for yourself. Everyone's like, oh, I got the latest iPod, Game Boy, etc. But as I grew up, my I noticed my parents' financial situation got a lot better. Like they started buying a house. They started putting furniture in that house. Still never drove a BMW, never drove a Mercedes or a luxury car, always kept like Toyotas that were 10 years old or more. And they ended up buying new Toyotas. And I was like, wow, my parents are doing better as we're getting older. It's like, I wish I grew up as my little brother. But so it was a blessing to see that. And at the same time, I was like, wow, my parents really worked hard throughout uh, their life to build up to where they are. And just seeing that was amazing. So getting to high school, I was thinking to myself, with the mentality of how I saw my parents grow, I was thinking, I feel like I can do the same thing. Okay. And so that, I mean, that obviously led you to college, right? And I know for you, part of your story was right after college, your net worth was something around like negative 25,000. And so how did you find yourself in that place at that time? And what did you feel needed to change about your relationship with money? So I had a negative 25,000 student loan debt. That's pretty much what it was. I didn't have credit card debt. I didn't have any other debts. But I remember at the time I was making like $1,000 a month and I thought I was doing so well and I was spending that left and right. But at the same time, there was this $50 a month student loan payment over 10 years that really irked at me because I was like, okay, do I pay this off? Do I not pay this off? And then I ended up uh, getting a big boy job, as you say, in consulting. And the impact on me financially is growing up frugal and seeing my parents grow up in the way that they did and then going through college, I thought, you know what? If I stay like this for a while, I think that I can save enough money to do well. Okay. And I know something you've talked about on your Instagram page, because that's where I came across you was on Instagram, is you've talked about finishing college early to to start your career. I mean, what kind of impact did that have on some of the decisions and the progress you were able to make early on? So graduating college early meant I didn't have to pay student loans. I didn't have to pay for books, housing, all of that stuff that associated with college, all the parties and stuff. And instead, I was making money. So I started my first job out of consulting, and I made all of that salary a year earlier. So I thought to myself, if stuff hits the fan, what I could do is I could just take this money and you know save it for a rainy day and work my way up from there. In the end, I decided I'm just going to invest all of that. So I ended up that far ahead with that initial salary. And that was the basis for starting to grow my net worth. Yeah. So do you mind sharing what that initial salary was right after college? Absolutely. Uh, I was making $65,000 and it was year 2014. And they paid me a sign-on of $5,000. Wow. Okay. So going back a little bit, to your high school days or so, were you thinking about college and your career in terms of what those potential earnings could do for your lifestyle, like as an adult? Or were you thinking about like, okay, I just want to go and do something that I feel like I'm going to enjoy right after college? 
so this is a funny story. You know, computers, as they were in the 2000s, they were already a hot industry. And I thought to myself, am I going to be making 60s for the rest of my life? And my dad's like, no way. That's not going to happen. You're going to go far beyond that as long as you put your mind to it. So for me, being a computer nerd, I was thinking, okay, I'm just going to go into computers right away because I loved it. I really loved it. And then I joined into information security. And I was like, whoa, my mind was totally blown, got totally hooked. And since then, my mon- the money that I've been making just went way up over time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so go do no, what go you ahead, love. Go yeah, it's like you do what you love and you have goals in mind at the same time. And those two just mixed together and made like this big avatar-like fireball that you just boom, you know, like in Dragon Ball Z where they're putting up these fireballs and yeah, just yeah. blowing them at each other. That's, that's what it became. <laughs> wow. Okay, so then... You know, right in those early days after college, right, you have this student loan debt, you're making a good income, but you're trying to figure everything out financially. You're trying to start investing and you're wondering, should I pay off the debt and all those? What were some of the, you know, some of the challenges and and thoughts that you were having around that time as you were trying to sort through those things? So as I was looking through those things, I was thinking, what is the opportunity cost if I don't invest? So 401k was around, and then I saw, oh, market returns were coming out of the financial crisis because it was 2014. Uh, 2012 was like a really rock bottom for a lot of the housing prices. And I thought, well, we're only two years in. If I invest now, I'm pretty sure that house is going to make money. And of course, all of this is speculation. All of this is me reading on bigger pockets, watching YouTube videos, looking at hot rental areas. And seeing that, you know what, if I take a chance here, I think I might outpace my student loans. But it was a very calculated guess on my part. And I looked at my uh, student loan interest rate, 6.8% over $25,000 and paying $50 a month. I said, paying $50 a month is not going to hurt me. So I know other people's financial situation may be different. But for me, I decided I'm just going to take the leap. I feel like the house is going to pay off in return, uh, investing in one and renting it out. So you you bought a rental property at that time, right? Correct. Okay. And so, I mean, what did that do for you? So I honestly thought it was really cool because the house mortgage was $715 a month and I was making $925 in rent. So of course, there's a little gap between those. And just thinking to myself, I bought a property with a renter inside it and it's paying me $200 a month and the guy's paying off my mortgage. How crazy is that? Like the money was not big that's coming back to my pocket, but it was money. And I was thinking down the line in 15 years when this mortgage is paid off, all that money is going to be mine. Right. So emotionally, that was like, how do you say it? You know, flying into the clouds and you're like, you're soaring over them. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, how I felt like at the time. I know you mentioned that you were scouring the bigger pockets for them. I mean, were there any other books or, you know, forums or anything like that, that, that you took the time to learn from as you were starting this journey to become an investor? Absolutely. So there was a blog that I stumbled upon, Financial Samurai. He invested in some rental properties he had a lot of things around investments and there was REITs and real estate. And I realized there's so much investments out there, so many different things that you can look at and reading between this is cash flow, this is dividends that can pay you every month in a different way. This is something you can totally own and depreciate. Like I, I read Financial Samurai inside and out. I was so hooked. And I'm going to admit, I wasn't a book guy at the time, but I stumbled upon his blog and that's all I read for 
many years, even until now. So was there like a particular blog post or anything like that that really stood out to you that that helped you kind of catapult to where you are now? Yes. He said in one of his posts, I became a millionaire at the age of 30. And I thought, millionaire by 30? What would that be like? That sounds insane. And in his post, he said something like, oh, I, I didn't realize I became a millionaire until I calculated at around 32. And I thought to myself, millionaire by 30, it's something that seems out of reach for a lot of people. But if I'm so determined, I feel like I can make a goal that's out of reach. And it was a personal thing. It became a personal goal. Seeing him achieve that, like one out of so many people, especially cons- con- like considering the median net worth of people and other circumstances around it, I thought, I think I can do it. I think I can do the impossible. And so you decided to make becoming a millionaire by 30 your goal and, and your target. I mean, let's talk about that journey a little bit. Let's go back to the beginning. I mean, what was it like uh, getting to, let's say, that first 100K? I mean, because that, you know, as you know, I mean, when people are starting out, you've got to overcome a lot of bad habits and you've got to build new habits and all that sort of stuff as you're on the journey. So what was it like getting to that first 100K for you? So reaching the first 100K, it, it was an odd feeling because 2015, I, I bought that house. And then in 2016, I I hit 100K net worth, but I didn't feel like I was well off because I when I bought that house, I used all of my savings to buy that investment property, built up my savings slowly. And then in 2016, I decided, you know, I'm going to travel a lot and spend a lot of my income. So $100,000 net worth didn't feel like $100,000 net worth because I had so much going in and out. And it, it, from there, I decided I really had to change up my budget. I had to look at where I was going, what I was doing with the money every week to really free up much of it. Like, And I thought I was doing the right things. I was saving into 401k maximum every month. So all the money I touched after that went into savings to buy that first initial investment property. Then I chilled for a little bit and just went traveling a lot and and spent most of my paycheck. And I thought, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? 100000 What? I don't feel like $100,000. On paper, I am, but I don't feel it. Yep. So, so what, I mean, so what was that moment when you felt it? Like, you know, did have you hit that moment yet where, where you just kind of like, okay, now we're talking? Yes. And when I started my Instagram page in 2018, I had a net worth of about 300000 and I had just bought my house in Texas. And I felt like I'm doing very well because at the time, even up to now, just consistently saving 50% of my income, living pretty much as I did before, but never really increasing that lifestyle, but not starving myself either like finding the experiences at the right time and making sure that I'm not doing something like overdoing something to the point that it becomes a habit for me. So now even $300,000 ago, I I feel the same as I do now, like very comfortable. So you start the Instagram page, you realize, you know, you're at the the 300,000 Things are clicking. You you start to kind of feel it a little bit. I mean, but let's let's dive into that a little bit. I mean, what specifically did you do? I mean, I know you had the the rental property and then you bought the property in Texas, but what were some of your other investment strategies that helped you get to that three hundred thousand? So, couple principles. First one is 
Ever since I started my job in 2014, I maxed out my 401k. Every year, 18,500 becomes 19,000 becomes 19,500, whatever that max is, I put that money in there. And just doing that over the last five years, my portfolio is worth over $150,000. Simple. That's, that's something that people should do if they can. Just max out the 401k. That's $150,000 for five years. Next one is the property. That house ended up appreciating $100,000 over that time frame. So that added another $100,000 to the net worth. And then keeping my savings rates as much as possible to 50% of my paycheck after contributions. Keyword is after, like 401k, throwing that out of the way. One whole paycheck, I'm going to throw that straight into savings or investing in a low-cost index fund like VTI. And that's all I've been really doing. So finding a balance to the point that you know, I'll spend some of my bonus, but for general life stuff every month, I'm only going to spend one paycheck. The second one goes straight to the future. You know, a lot of people think investing is so hard. And what you just described is super simple and very easy to understand. I mean, why do you think that we tend to, as people, just kind of overcomplicate investing or we just have these irrational fears of investing? There is rational fear, especially you know, reading the Financial Samurai blog, that guy's lived through two of the downturns. So even when I heard his recent podcast, I heard from him say that if you've experienced the downturns, you'll be less likely to want to invest. For me, being a young guy, having expanded myself in 2014 into a job and everything else, I've never seen a recession in my life. So I don't know what to expect. But all I know is from previous people's experience, Warren Buffett's experience, all that, the market should go up over time as new people are added to the world and consumer products rise and uh, people need to keep building up these factories to support all of them. I just believe that's, that's going to be the case. Um, consistently putting into an index, there's no possible way that every company in the world is going to drop down to zero. You know, some across all these companies over time, it'll do fine. And what's helped me overcome the fear is seeing all these people's experience. You cannot pick stocks. And what people do is people like to pick stocks. You pick Tesla, you pick um, MoviePass, you pick um, some healthcare stock that you think is going to go public and run phase three of their clinical trials. And you feel like you're going to get rich quick. But investing is not get rich quick. Investing is you put money in over time and index over time into something that is a bit safer, like the whole market, rather than just one putting your eggs in one basket. And then over time, you just see it go up. At least that's that's how I see it. Yeah, no, I, I'm the exact same way. I mean, that's that's my investment strategy. I, I'm actually, I mean, I focus 100% on index funds. I don't even have real estate in my portfolio at this point. I mean, maybe we'll get to that point later, but for right now, I'm I'm just enjoying this wave with just pure index <laughs> funds. It's very right. simple. My my finances are on autopilot. I don't even have to do anything. You know, the money just comes out and it goes where it goes, and then I check it every month and you know, kind of track it as we go. So, but you know, you so you started this journey for yourself around 2014. Here it is, 2020. So you're about six years into the journey. So what is your income now? My income now. If I were to take just my day job, that's $160,000. Uh, and then there was a bonus on top of it. So my income was 
close to like 175 and then adding in my side income that was about another 30,000 in the last year so $200,000 all in so when i read that number even my my head exploded <laughs> <laughs> i was like no no way recalculate that's not possible yeah, I mean, nope, this is six, this is six years after college for you. I mean, that's that's yep. incredible, man. You know, a lot of people never see that, so that's that's awesome. I mean, I, and I just have to naturally ask. I mean, because you've more than doubled, tripled your income really since you started. So, how have you been able to to, to do that strategically? So, part of it is getting into an industry that has high growth, high job prospects. If you Take your job and type it into bls.gov. What does it tell you? And BLS, by the way, is Bureau of Labor Statistics. And when I saw the demand for computer professionals was growing by 20%, you know, double digits over time, I was like, you know what? Someone's going to need to manage these people going forward. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be me. I'm going to build up all the right skill sets. I'm going to get into that position and love what I do every step of the way. And with that principle in mind, being in a high growth industry and j- jumping through the different ropes, going through the promotions, that's where I am now. There are some other people that don't face the same amount of luck, and part of it is because of the planning. Some people say, do what you love, but unfortunately, what they love does not pay. If you type in bls.gov and look at what job they're type, they're trying to go for, you got like a single digit growth, and that's, that's really tough. So it, it, it really varies there. <laughs> right. So how do you find, I mean, what, what would you recommend to somebody that's, that's struggling with that between, let's say somebody's in something or, or they love something, they're passionate about something that doesn't really pay, but they do have these life goals that kind of where they need to make more money. I mean, what would you say to that person to kind of help them balance and make that decision? I feel like uh, a bit of a practical side has to come into play here. And this is what I tell people because I have friends that are so interested in music and arts and they're absolutely amazing at it. But I tell them also, can you make this a side hobby for you and build that up? And in the meantime, focus your artistic abilities into something like web development or programming where it is artsy in such a way, but you're building something for your own. And on the side, then you build up your music passion. You can, you can focus your art, try selling that stuff. And if that outpaces your day job, so it does. But at least you've done something practical to back yourself up in case your passion did not go through. Right, right. So, you know, another question I have to ask, I mean, is how far along are you in that journey to becoming a millionaire by 30? I mean, where are you now in in terms of net worth? So currently I'm 70% the way there. My net worth just hit $700,000 this past week. So that's also mind-blowing. And how old are you again? I'm 26. Sheesh, man. You're you're killing it. Ahead of the game. I love it. I love it. So, and, and I mean, let's let's get it out of the way because I know somebody out there is probably thinking it. I mean, so has any of that 700,000 been through gifts, inheritances, anything like that? Were you given uh, any lump sum portions of that? No. My parents growing up, they told me that, you know, I should be supporting myself going forward. And they actually offered, you know, I'll help you pay for this and that. But after seeing them and how we grew up and seeing them get into a house and paying for that, I said, you know, I'll take out the loan. It'll be under me. I'll be accountable for it and I'll pay for myself. I wanted to have a life where I built it myself and I did not request help from my parents or in any way like that. You know, 
in fact, I feel like I should be supporting them for disciplining me and putting me down the right path. Right. Absolutely. I love that. I love that part of your answer. Uh, and, and, you know, I know that we've talked a little bit about how early in the early days you were focused on cutting expenses, but at the same time, your income has more than tripled. So what do you think has been more beneficial for you personally cutting back the cost or focusing on earning more money? So I know that the debt free community is not going to like me for this, but <laughs> definitely earning a lot more money. I'm not a fan of no spend days. I'm not a fan of restricting myself in budget wise or anything like that. I feel like there are goals in life that I want to meet and there's a price associated with those goals. And I need to make more money to be able to meet those goals. <laughs> so I know it's a tough answer that people will slam me for, but that's how I feel like increasing my income over time has led to much of the growth. You can only cut back so much. You can cut back to the point that it hurts, but then your quality of life hurts after that. I, You know what? I, I lean more towards that way. Um, you know, for me, it's always been kind of a balanced thing. You know, obviously, you know, when you when you first sit down, there's probably a lot of extra stuff in your budget that you probably need to cut out. But in terms of, um, you know, getting to a higher net worth and all those things, I tell people all the time, I mean, you know, we can spend time focusing on your $4 latte, but how about we spend time focusing on 30, 40, 50, 60,000 decisions instead of four and $5 decisions. So I, I, right. I, you know, now that I'm in, you know, around 30, I'm finally starting to, to see it that way and understand it that way. So I'm, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. So we'll both get that pushback together. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> But st- I mean, sticking with that, talk a little bit about it, because I know you've talked, you've kind of touched on the side hustles. So what are some of those side hustles that you've had? Side hustles. All right. So some of my capital, uh, I like to show my brokerage account once a month. And I always tell people, this is how much dividends I made. So about $50,000 of that 140000 or so right now is is returning $5,000 a year in dividends. So about 10% per year, I would say. So that's one income stream. Uh, second one is YouTube. And that one's been insane over time. Like, I don't even know why people follow me, but I'm doing it well and I'm doing it right, I guess. But I ask for feedback. And I get paid last year about $6,000 because it was like $300 in the beginning of the year in the month. And then towards the end, it was 1000 And that was insane. <laughs> like, seriously, guys? Me? <laughs> and I'm a random guy, too. So that's another one. <laughs> And then the third one on the side, you know, looking at stuff on Marketplace that you can resell. So if you open up Marketplace and then you just, without typing in anything, just tap on the search and the top five things to resell literally pop up right in front of you. TV, couch, refrigerator, you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, TV. So, you know, you look at Walmart, you see these really underpriced TVs go on sale like Skepter going for $160. You stack it with a 10% coupon code. It becomes $150. Resell that for $200 on Facebook. And you're like, wait, what? There's demand for this? Shoot, I'm going to run in that direction. And then that earned easily, wow, $8,000 in a year? Because I've made $16,000 and it's my second year doing it. <laughs> so wow. That's insane. Yeah, and then, that- of course, there's the rental house too. Yeah, no, that, that side hustle is insane. I've seen you on Instagram talk about the flipping the TVs. And when I first saw that, man, I, 
it was it's one of those things that's like god why didn't i think of that it's such a simple hustle that you can do and you make good money doing it so i mean i love it i mean and so talk about i mean how how important has having those side hustles been in helping you get where you are now so being able to have these side hustles that's essentially well almost paid for my living expenses so that alone means much of my normal job income goes straight into investments and when i put it that way i'm like whoa that's that's crazy yeah <laughs> i would have never guessed in all my life that i could side hustle and pretty much almost pay for my expenses maybe this year it will but we'll see gotcha gotcha and so Okay, so you've chosen, I would say, the majority of your net worth comes from equities, correct? Yes. Okay. And so why is it that you chose to kind of pivot away from just being a sole real estate investor? Because that was kind of how you started. That was one of your first investments. So what was yes. it that led you to say, you know what, I, I did the real estate thing. I like that. Uh, maybe I'll do more later, but this is the direction that I want to go. Well, Michael, <laughs> here's a question for you. You buy a house for $113,000 in 2015. And when you go back to buy another house, the house is worth $250,000. So in my mind, looking at it, I'm like, if I buy a $250,000 house, am I buying at the super top of the market? Because I feel like the housing market cannot go that much further in that particular area, having seen where the tops were in the past. And of course, when I apply that same thing to stocks, you know, I see the same thing, but in stocks, it's it's easier to buy in little by little because you're not out $200,000 because, you know, well, not 200000 but 50000 because you have to put a down payment on that house. But rather, you can buy a share of Tesla for $400, $500. And by then, your capital out is going to be, you know, this much. You can study it for a little bit and you're like, okay, it goes up over time. You're not in it for so much money that it's going to hurt. And on another note here, if I'm going to pivot the conversation a little bit more, I don't want all of my net worth to be tied up in one particular asset class. Because if people all of a sudden decide one day that stocks are not going to be the hot thing and then they do this massive sell-off and, you know, I need some liquidity, if I had like 90% in stocks, then I have a big problem. And likewise, if I have 90% in the house, but I have no cash to pay for stuff, nothing that I can liquidate quickly if I really need the money, then that's also another problem. So being able to balance it, what I like to do is focus 50% real estate, 50% in stocks. And what I tell people lately is when I'm investing money, I'm putting 50% in real estate, well, basically my my brokerage account, and then the other 50% in high-yield savings account so I could buy a property down the line. Gotcha. I'm that trying makes, to keep it 50-50. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I, I'm I'm right there with you on that. And so because of that, I mean, because of your investment strategy, I noticed on Instagram as well that last year you said your net worth increased by like 211,000. Can you <laughs> talk about how you accomplished that in one year? $211,000 growth. I know, right? Like my gross income is less than my net worth growth. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> how does that happen? Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so... Remember how I said 
$150,000 in 401k. Mm -hmm. So, of course, that's money that's already in the market and doing its thing. And one quote that I hear a lot is time in market is more important than timing the market. So that's played a lot because S&P 500 went up 26% in one year. So $150,000, you know, you turn around and blink and then it becomes 25% more than that. So income, like market growth and gains was a decent amount of that. And when I looked at it, part of it is, of course, you know, I'm going to deny I contributed a lot. I contributed $100,000 of that money because 50% goes straight into it. The other part of that is $92,000 came from the market gain itself. Properties and stuff that I had already had just keeps growing. So no matter where you are in the income spectrum, once you have assets, if you have stocks, that stuff grows over time and that can outpace even your own income. Like once you combine it all. And I'm the example of that. Right. No, that I, I love that. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. So what would you say to the folks who would counter that by saying, well, you know, we're at all times high. We had all times highs right now. So I probably shouldn't be investing because a crash is pretty much inevitable. And everyone's been saying that for a while. Yeah. Even have, since yeah. year 2000, I would say around 2016, people were starting to talk about market highs because at around that time, I believe, and don't quote me on this one, I have to research this. Uh, people started saying that this was the all-time high because the previous one right before the crash was around that much. House prices had already increased by a decent amount. Tech was bringing in a lot of new money to, you know, of course, California and all these other states driving up all the prices and stuff. So everyone thought it was going to be all-time high, but it still wasn't there. And keep in mind, you know, I've been reading a bunch of these financial bloggers already saying index, index, index. And if you don't need the money, then you're fine. So all-time high... If you're a person that's investing and you don't have money saved up to weather the storm of a crash, don't invest all your money. Have that money saved up first. That's your emergency fund, just in case you lose your job in something and you need to transition period. So be it. You have that money there. And then keep investing into that all-time high. Keep doing that because if that, over time, that just keeps compounding and then like S&P 500 returns like 7% average for the past 100 years, you know? That's that's just crazy. This all-time high is going to be the all-time low in about five years or 10 years. So think about it that way. Have that money saved up in the emergency fund. Invest what you can. Don't invest until it hurts. Like, <laughs> Just put it in that perspective and you should be fine. I know, you know, for me, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And so with that being said, I mean, is there anything that you wish maybe you had done a little different from a financial sense? And I know it's hard because you've been on this amazing winning streak for like the last six years. But is there anything that you look back and go, man, you know what? I wish I had done this a little sooner or held off on this or just done something a little different. There are two things that come to mind. One of them is actually three. Okay. <laughs> First thing is I bought one Vegas house and down the street from that one, was another house where if I bought it, if both of those houses had no renters, I could still pay for it. I should have bought the second house. That's at least what I thought because it was right down the street. They both appreciate the same amount and that could have increased my net worth by another $140,000. So right off the bat, that's one. Number two is I bought a Hyundai Genesis in 2015 as well. 
And while I really loved the car, I told my dad that I really wanted a Challenger RT, Hemi, V8, and two doors. And my dad said, no, 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 Jay, you've got to do the practical option. Go for the four-door car because you're going to carry around your friends. I drove that car, and while I loved it, I never carried more than myself and maybe one other person. And I felt like I could have had a lot more fun, and it still would have cost the same amount of money just driving the Challenger RT, and I probably wouldn't have sold that. Because I have all my life to drive a Hyundai Genesis, a Mercedes, you know, whatever uncle car that people say, but I'm only 20 years old for five years right, or 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up selling the car. So I'm like, that went to waste. <laughs> I could have owned a Challenger Hemi outright and still driven it. And then, you know, when I have kids in like a couple of years, I could do that rather than looking at other cars every two and a half years or so. Exactly. Exactly. So it just went, in, yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to go back to that first one though. I mean, what was it about that housing opportunity that kind of made you pause and not seize that? So my dad is a very conservative guy because of the fact that he's seen so many market crashes. He's lived poor and has made money over time. So of course his mindset is all conservative. Even if I ask him today about investments, he's very conservative about it. And I'm a guy that listens to my dad a lot because I don't want to be the guy that doesn't listen to his dad. So, of course, I took his advice with the car and with the house. He said, don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. Because he said, one, you can handle it perfectly fine. But if you do two, you're going to overdo it. And for me, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I should have just overstepped that. Maybe I should have bought that car. Maybe I should have done that. But I feel like either way, my dad still gave me good advice and put me in a good position. That way right, right. With his experience. No, I, I hear you, man. I hear where you're coming from. And so I want to go, you know, we've kind of spent a lot of time going back, but now I want to go forward a little bit. I mean, what do you plan to do once you reach that goal of becoming a millionaire? So to look forward, I got to step back a little bit on you. <laughs> In 2012, I, you know, and I keep telling my followers this, and it's real, literally right in my tagline, Maserati dreams to millionaire by 30. And that car, every time I saw it pass by and everything like that, you know, hearing the engine, being able to sit in one, being able to drive one for myself, I really want a Maserati. And that's something that no one's going to take away from me. You're not going to tell me a Challenger RT is better. You're not going to tell me a Camaro is better. I want a Maserati. You know, even if it's repair costs, I'll, you know, my whole life has been centered around this car, I would say, in terms of my goals. And this car is the reason why I have this net worth, because I dreamt about it. I saw how expensive it was to run it. I saw what it takes to get one. And now that I'm in the position to pretty much pull that trigger, I'm going to do it. Like in the past, when my dad told me, you know, don't get the Challenger RT, don't do this. Now is my time to do it. I feel like I'm going to be in the most comfortable position to do it. And I have no kids and I have no other responsibilities and I can just enjoy it for as much as I can. So I'm definitely going to get a Maserati. That's one. And number two, my friends and I back when I finished high school had a crazy dream of going to Dubai and Dubai is literally the city of dreams. There was a project I followed that was, I thought was impossible. And that's the Palm Jumeirah. If you look it up, it's a, it's an island that's literally printed in the sand in the ocean. And they just raise it and turn it into an island. That's impossible. Dubai made the impossible happen. Another one, they made that 
almost half a mile quarter mile skyscraper, the Burj Khalifa, they call it, that's impossible. And I feel like part of what I do is do the impossible. And that's what I want to do is I want to go to Dubai and experience that for a week. I'm not going to do that for like a year because <laughs> I'm not going to blow my budget. <laughs> but I want to experience the impossible. You know, that's a great segue because one of the things that I want to ask you before we get out of here is, you know, do you feel like it's possible for someone with an average household income to become a millionaire in their lifetime? And the only reason I ask that is because I feel like there's somebody out there that's listening right now that kind of tuned out when you said your income's around 200K because they felt like, eh, you know what, I can't accomplish that. So do you feel it's possible for someone with an average household income to become a millionaire in their lifetime? And if so, what are some actionable things that they can take to to get to that status someday? So I'm going to segue also because I lived this. My dad, watching him grow up, my dad is about a millionaire now. And he is 55 years old, I would say. And growing up, I watched him. He was a Navy cadet. He was going and getting his um, his degree and paying for these loans and all that stuff. So I've seen him as a pizza driver and working in the Navy at the same time and getting deployed and then coming back, going to school, all of that stuff. It's like he became a guy where he was an, making like $19,000 to making like $50,000 for the longest amount of time. And he just socked away money conservatively this whole time. And when he showed me his portfolio, I was totally blown away. He's a normal guy. He socked away the maximum in his 401k, you know, making $50,000 a year and trying to save a little bit of money here and there. And he did that for so long that he's hit his mark. And now he's at the point where he was able to buy two investment properties outright because of the money that he saved up over time, just diligently investing in this thing called NASDAQ, this thing called S&P 500. And that's mind-blowing. $50,000 a year, and just recently, he hit his 100000 a year mark, I believe, in his salary. So he's earned an average income for all his life, but he focused his life on saving. He drove Toyotas, which those things never broke down, and I, I lived through that, and I saw that he is the average everyday millionaire. And you know, you look at people around to BMWs and all these things, people don't need iPhone X. My dad never had any of that, but he was happy in his life. So find an area where you can be happy, sock away a little bit of money in an index fund every single month, just watch it over time. You know, my dad's 55 years old and he's a millionaire. He's an everyday millionaire. And that's amazing to see. Man, you know what? I, <laughs> I couldn't have scripted that because you just brought this whole interview full circle. I mean, to start with your childhood being where it was and you experiencing what you're experiencing because of your parents' frugal ways. <clears throat> And then to get to the point today where you can look back on those same habits that your parents put into practice when you were younger and be proud of the progress they were making to become millionaires. You just, you can't write a better script than that, man. And yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could say this was made up, but it's not made up. <laughs> I, I love it, man. I, I love it. I mean, this is. And that's that, something, yeah, I've never shared this before on, on my social media, like my parents' situation, but it's just amazing to be able to say, oh my gosh, my dad is an everyday millionaire. I calculated his net worth you know, for him and everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's a millionaire. 
So then, it okay. Matter. So then, yeah. because okay, so let's. Let, I, we're we were gonna get out of here, but I gotta ask because <laughs> you know you you look back, okay, on your childhood, right? And because we were talking about how you were looking at other people and you were feeling envious and you were feeling, you know, all these different feelings, and and so to to watch your parents get to this point now, how does that feel? I'm so proud of them. You know, it's it's an accomplishment. No matter where you are, no matter what age, people look at me and they say, you know, Jay, you're going to become a millionaire by 30. And I tell them, my parents are a millionaire at 55 and I'm still proud. You can be a millionaire at 60 and I'm still proud. They're, they're in that position where, you know, no matter what age you are, as long as you meet your goals, as long as you persist over time, my gosh, you met those goals. And I'm so proud. And everyone that I see along the way that are making their goals, no matter where you are on the journey, I speak to people as young as 13 and as old as 60. And I tell them, you're doing well. You're looking at your finances. And I think about my dad and think no matter where you are in the journey, you've made it. You're making it. Well, Jay, man, hey, I'm proud of you, man. You've been crushing it. You're 26 years old with a $700,000 net worth. Keep going, man. I'm excited to watch you finish this journey to becoming a millionaire by 30. And when you hit that, I'm, I'm going to have you back on the show <laughs> and we can talk about what that last 300,000 was like, or the, the journey to get there and, and everything you experienced becoming a millionaire. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm just so excited to follow along, but I do want to give you this opportunity to let the people that are listening know where they can find you if they want to be like me and just follow the rest of this journey. Definitely. You can find me at Instagram.com, Jay Millennial, Jay and the word Millennial. And that's it. Well, there you have it. Well, Jay, hey, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey. I'm excited to continue following along and I can't wait to see you reach that goal of becoming a millionaire by 30. And for all you neighbors that want to follow along with me, I'll be sure to link to Jay's Instagram account in the show notes, which you can find at winningtowealth.com slash episode 18. That's winningtowealth.com slash episode 18. I also put a link to the blog post that Jay mentioned about becoming a millionaire by 30 by Financial Samurai. Um, I'll be sure to link to that there as well. Again, winning to wealth.com slash episode 18. Also, if you want to start your own journey to becoming a millionaire, be sure to download our free money guide, which you can find at winning to wealth.com slash guide. In this guide, you will get a simplified checklist that shows you exactly what financial step you need to be taking right now and what's next as you focus on building wealth for your family. And again, you can find that at winningtowealth.com slash guide. But thanks again for listening to another episode of The Wealthy Neighbor Show. We'll talk soon.